Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. I lead Faith Christian Center in Austell, Georgia. Thanks for tuning in today. I believe today's message will encourage you, inspire you, help you live a life that makes Jesus famous in every area of your life. And as a result of this message, I believe something good is going to happen in your life as you listen and as you apply it. So listen up. Here's today's message. As we pick up with Acts chapter 8, verse 8. We left off last week with Philip, one of the original seven deacons of the early church, coming down to Samaria because the church is being persecuted at Jerusalem and they've been scattered. Philip is one of the people who is scattered and he ends up in Samaria. And it tells us about those who were scattered. They went everywhere preaching or proclaiming the good news. And as Philip is scattered into Samaria, he begins to preach. And as we looked at some of the things that happened, the result was, verse 8, and there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. Now notice about Simon. He's a sorcerer. He practiced magic. He got all the people's attention on himself, not just saying that I have great power, but I am a great one. So notice the purpose beside Simon's magic use. And all the people began to say, this man is the great miraculous power of God. Now you have to begin to wonder as we dive it into the text in the verse by verse study, why would Samaria be so open to receive this magician, this sorcerer, this warlock? Simon was a sorcerer in Samaria. And remember, the Samaritans had a mixture of beliefs, part Judaism, part paganism, mingled together over centuries. We as Americans should understand that. You live in American culture, and there are parts of American culture that does flow from Judeo-Christianity. There's parts of American culture that flows from Islam. There's part of American culture that flows from pagan beliefs. There's part of American culture that comes from the Greek and the Roman philosophies of government. And it's all mingled together in culture. And this is something like the Samaritans experienced. It was a mingled together, part truth, part paganism. And with their adherence to part pagan beliefs, they could receive this warlock and believe he was the power of God. Remember about the Samaritans. The Jews did not like the Samaritans, and the Samaritans did not like the Jews. There was racial conflict, cultural conflict, as well as religious doctrinal conflict. Yet, despite all those things, Jesus ministered in the different cities of Samaria. Although the Jews didn't want to go over there and the Samaritans wanted to go vice versa, Jesus in John chapter 4 went and ministered to the woman at the well. And we know the result of what happened there. One of the whole city of Samaritans in that area turned and followed Jesus. So Jesus had success in the region of Samaria. But in Luke 9, a Samaritan village refuses to let Jesus stay there because he was heading towards Jerusalem. They wanted Jesus to stay in Samaria. But Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem because he knew it was about to be offered. And they said, well, because you're heading to Jerusalem, we don't like the Jews, even though you're Jewish. We don't want you to go. So because you're heading there, you cannot stay in our city. You cannot stay in any of our hotel rooms. This is where Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay its head. 
His statement here was in reference to his treatment in the village. Some people erroneously use that scripture and say, see, Jesus was broke. He was homeless. You should take care of the homeless because Jesus was homeless. No, you should take care of the homeless because it's the right thing to do. Not because Jesus was homeless. He wasn't. You keep reading through the Gospels. He had a house. It tells us what city he lived in. He lived in Capernaum. He had a nice-sized house where people could gather in before he would go and teach them. They knew where he lived in Capernaum. So don't take this verse out of context. Jesus was speaking about his treatment, how I can't, the son of man, which is a messianic title, cannot even have a hotel room in this city. So I have to keep moving. But Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1-8 that they, post-resurrection, are to go into all the regions of Samaria. Acts 1-8 says, but you shall receive power miraculous ability, force after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So Jesus told them they would be witnesses of him with power in Samaria. The first person to go down and preach in Samaria is Philip. Now, if you ever look on the map today, where is Samaria? Samaria is known as parts of the West Bank of Israel today. So understand first, as we continue going on to the conflict we're about to look at, how Simon was able to hold them in awe of his magical power. Their mixed belief system, which had partial pagan roots, as well as the power he manifested. Verse 11 says, And to him they had regard, because that of a long time, so it was not a few weeks, a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. All of those who followed Simon turned. Because of Philip's preaching, nobody followed Simon anymore. When Philip showed up, the power of the Holy Ghost and the preaching concerning the kingdom of God and the authority of Jesus, the anointed one, eclipsed everything Simon had previously done. So let's re-examine what Philip proclaimed. We looked at part of it at the end of last week's message. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. It says, then Philip went down to the, city of, to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It describes who he is. He is the anointed one. It's hard to talk about the anointed one without talking about the anointing he's anointed with. So at other times in scriptures, depending on the context, it's talking specifically about the anointing. So Philip went to Samaria and preached the anointing that was on Jesus. That was his topic. He is preaching the anointing that is on Jesus. He is preaching the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. And it was similar to Jesus preaching on the anointing in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, when he quoted Isaiah saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recover sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus preached the anointing. So Philip is now preaching the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. So as we see here in Acts chapter 8, Philip preached on the anointing, and the kingdom of God. Remember Paul said that kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. He also said that kingdom of God is not in meat and drink, but in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The book of Daniel shows how the kingdom of God is greater than any other kingdom. So verse 12 tells us that he also preached on the authority, which is what the name means. The word name is unama, which is authority and the character thereof, of Jesus, the anointed one. So he comes into the city preaching on the authority of Jesus. 
being greater than any other authority, preaching on the power of God, being greater than any other power. They had all been watching Simon, calling him the great power of God. Then Philip shows up talking about the name that's above every name. Philip shows up talking about the power that's better than any other power. Philip shows up talking about the kingdom of God that's greater than any other kingdom. And as he does that, the Holy Ghost confirms everything he's saying. The Holy Ghost gives signs and wonders to back up the words Philip says as he preaches to them the reality of who Jesus really is and what's available to those who follow him. What was the results? What were the signs the Holy Ghost gave? People were healed. The demon-possessed were delivered. Now, why were there so many demon-possessed in that region? All of the warlock. All the things the warlock did. All of the witchcraft. See, some people think, well, witchcraft is not that really harmful, but you keep playing with it, you will entertain demons and evil spirits, familiar spirits, and a whole ranks and files of hell's army. You know, some people start messing with stuff, you know, it was just them, but when they leave, they got a, ho- a whole house party with them wherever they go. Leave with demons and doggy bags. And so here, there are people who weren't just oppressed or depressed. They had become possessed. But when Philip comes preaching the power of the anointing, the burden and the yoke of demonic possession and oppression is broken. The burden and the yoke of sickness and disease is broken. People are delivered all throughout the city, and there is great joy in the entire city. So verse 13, then Simon himself also believed. The warlock, the magician, the sorcerer, he gets saved. Now that's a victory. Wouldn't you say that's a victory? That the chief one who was leading the, war, the witchcraft turns his life and follows Jesus? That's a victory. And he was baptized, so he didn't just answer the altar call. He says, yeah, I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to take a stand for Jesus. And he continued with Philip. He didn't say, oh, I had a great experience one day. He says, I'm going to keep coming to every time Philip preaches. This is the process of discipleship, right? So he's in the beginning of stages of becoming a disciple. And he wondered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. I just noticed an interesting turn of phrase in verse 13 because before Simon bewitched everybody. And now Simon is in wonder and awe of the power of God. Beholding the miracles and signs which were done or beholding the great acts of power and the miraculous signs which were done. So you get to verse 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as he was yet fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. So the poor reports get back to the apostles, and they see, man, the Samaritans are following Jesus. They've all gotten saved, but they haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost yet. So they sent Peter and John, probably because they had the ministry of laying hands on people to receive the Holy Ghost. Peter and John get down there, and they pray that everyone there will be able to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now remember, when people are born again, the Holy Ghost moves on the inside of them. Holy Spirit within but they want them to receive Holy Ghost upon, just like they had received. Because notice how Luke says it here, he had not fallen upon any of them. He was within them, 
but it wasn't resting upon them. So all that was great, they were saved in the minds of early, the early Christian leaders. It's not enough for them to be saved, they need some power. It's not just enough for Philip to have power, but all these believers need power too. It's not just enough for those in Jerusalem to be filled with the Holy Ghost and have power. The Samaritans need power too. So this whole issue at hand, chapter 8, is the power of God. So they send Peter and John, and they go and they pray, and then they go ahead and lay hands with every single person, and as soon as they touch people, they're filled with the Holy Ghost. They begin to speak in other tongues. So people can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost by prayer and faith, but there's also the laying on hands. People can lay hands on someone, they can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's also ministry gifts that God supernaturally equips that when they lay hands on people, they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so as this is happening, Simon, the former sorcerer, is standing by watching. Remember, he continued with Philip. So now the big dogs come in because he thought Philip was a pretty big deal. But now Peter and John come in. They start preaching. These were two of the three of Jesus' inner circle. These are the big dogs of the big dogs. Peter is the leader, and John was the one they know that Jesus loved, who Jesus told stuff to. So now they show up, so you know, Simon's watch. Everybody there, come on, you will be too. We've been saved. This is a thousand years later, but if Peter and John showed up, we'd all be listening on every single word. And so he's watching everything that is done, how the Holy Ghost is moving. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Notice, we're going to look at Simon's different errors. Who did he offer money to? Who did Simon offer money to? Peter and John. Was it an offering to God? No. Was it an offering to God through his ministry gifts? No. So he is not giving an offering. He's trying to buy an ability. So Simon's first error. It wasn't that he wanted to do what the apostles did. That wasn't the problem. The first error was Simon thought he could buy the ability from the apostles. Notice here how there's no relationship with God mentioned. He bypassed God and went to these men. He cut out God and went straight to Peter and John, saying, verse 19, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Second error, Simon's motive. Simon wasn't desiring just to be used by God. Some people want to be used by God and the power of God. That's a good desire. You should desire that. But that's not what Simon desired. He didn't desire to be used by God. He didn't desire to be a blessing to God's people. He didn't desire to be a vessel. He didn't desire to just experience God's power moving through him. That wasn't his desire. He wanted the attention he used to have. Remember, he used to be the great power of God. So, hey, let me give you some money. Give me this power. Y'all can go home. I got it from here. He was known as the great power of God, and he wanted to be known that again. His heart motive wasn't right. Verse 20, but Peter said unto him, and I'm sure it's only in Peter fashion because Peter, he had a mouth on him. He was bold. Sometimes his mouth got him in trouble. Other times his mouth was perfect. And this time this mouth is used by the Holy Ghost to hit hard. Your money perish or die with you. Ooh, that's not nice, Peter. Because you thought you could, that the gift of God, this free gift, may be purchased with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. 
So let's break this down a little bit. The word matter means utterance. The word matter here means utterance. Because the thing is, people try to say, well, the bap- people can be, the Holy Ghost can come upon them not speaking tongues. But notice, Simon saw something happen when the Holy Ghost came on them. What did he observe? Then begin to speak in other tongues. So it says, you don't have a part or lot in this matter or this utterance. But even beyond that, you do not have a part or lot in the ministry of imparting the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You have no part of this. Didn't, didn't Paul say in the New Testament, if someone desires to be a leader in the church, that's a good desire to have? Yeah, the desire is right. But Peter is saying, you don't have any part of this. But Simon's saved, isn't he? It's like, well, Simon is saved, isn't he? Simon got baptized, didn't he? Simon is an early disciple, isn't he? But Peter looked at him and said, your heart ain't right. You don't have any part of this in this ministry of the Holy Ghost. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness or your twistedness. And pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. I like what the Phillips translation said. But Peter said to him, to hell with you and your money. How dare you think you could buy the gift of God? You have no share or place in this ministry, for your heart is not honest before God. All you can do now is repent of this, your wickedness of yours, and pray earnestly to God that the evil intention of your heart may be forgiven. For I can see inside of you. I see a man bitter with jealousy and bound with his own sin. Verse 23, for I perceive that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. The word gall means bile. Bile. Or a bitter greenish brown alkaline fluid that aids digestion. And is secreted by the liver and stored in the gallbladder. Bitterness, acridity, or poison. You're in the gall of bitterness. It reminds me of Hebrews 12:15. Go there with me for a second. Hebrews chapter 12, 15. You are in the bile of bitterness. The bile. Bitterness. Peter only said a few words, but they hit hard. Hebrews 12 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail or fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you. That word trouble does not just trouble, it means to crowd in. And thereby many be defiled or many be contaminated. See, gall of bitterness is bile that breaks down or bitter jealousy. Bile that breaks down or bitter jealousy. He looked at this Christian. He looked at this baptized believer. Your heart is not right. You are bitterly jealous. And you're in a heart situation that is breaking you down. And if you don't cut it out or break others down. You're trapped in your own sin. You're trapped in your own depravity. Because if you do not stop bitterness when it's a seed, it will produce a root that will defile many and lead you to a place where you are bound by sin. If it continues, it will continually harden your heart. Everybody has an opportunity to be bitter. Everybody 
has a chance to be bitter. Things can happen to you to sow a seed of bitterness. But it's up to you if you let that seed take root. You can have something happen to you. And bitterness tries to take hold, but you can say, no, I'm going to forgive everybody, everything. I'm not going to keep thinking about this. I'm going to forgive and I'm going to let it go. Or if you keep thinking about it again and again and again and again, what they did, what they said, 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 what they did, what they said. You take hold of that seed, you plant it in your heart, and it begins to grow a root. Now it's a little bit harder to get rid of what they did, what they said. It's a little bit harder to stop thinking about what they did, what they said, what they did, what they said, what they did, what they said. Because now if it's root, it's, a, it's producing. Before it was just one thing, but now it's producing things in your thought life. It's producing things in your emotions. Because if your heart's not right, it will affect your believing. Your faith is not working right anymore because there's a root of bitterness affecting everything you do. Producing fruit. And what does this fruit of bitterness do? It defiles or contaminates many. So you go places and you contaminate people. Instead of being a blessing, instead of setting people free, you are now a contagion of bitterness. And see, that's how people go. They try to tell you their experience. I'm just trying to share wisdom, but they end up sharing bitterness instead. You see a lot on social media. People post this stuff, and it's just bitterness. It's vomit. It's bile. Spiritual indigestion, if you will. And they just vomit it up on Facebook. Vomit it up on Twitter. Vomit it up on Snapchat. Vomit it up on Instagram. They vomit it up in real life. Whatever they do, it's flowing from them. You see, didn't Proverbs 4.3 tell us, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it all the issues of life. Issue also means forces or borders. See, if your heart is bitter, it will affect everything you do. Even if the action is right, it will be tainted with bitterness. You must, there's an old Pentecostal saying, someone told me one time, do what you need to do to keep your rivers pure. To keep what flows from you pure. Because if you're bitter, whatever flows from you will have the taint or the contamination of bitterness too. Because it's in your heart. It's a root. It's something you refuse to deal with. You can come to church every Sunday and be filled with bitter jealousy. You can pray every day and still have bitter jealousy as a root. And so what flows from you will contaminate. So as you guys saw Deacon Grew come out, he brought me this pitcher of water and this lovely bag of trash. You see, this is not even a fake bag of trash. It's a real bag of trash. I'm putting my glove on. So imagine this is someone's heart. I'm thirsty, so I'm going to drink a little water first. Here is the water that's in their heart. That right now looks decently clean. You can pour it out. It'll be refreshing. It'll be a blessing. But people start getting bitter. Oh, man, he got me a good bag of trash. Some bitterness taking root. Ooh, that's a Kleenex. I wonder if it's used.
Oh man, this is nasty. <laughs> Bitterness and trash. Bitterness and trash. Can you guys bring some more bottles of water? Because they just let this bitterness take hold. They're not dealing with it. Man, that's nasty. But they keep coming to church. The Holy Ghost deals with them about stuff, but they refuse to deal with what's going on in their heart. So they're getting more poured into them. They're in church. Or they watch online, because some of them are bitter, so they won't come to the house of God. Some like, I don't need church anymore. I'm spiritual all by myself. Okay. And so now, wherever they go, they think they're offering pure rivers of life flowing from them. It's trash. It's gall of bitterness. And because they're now trapped in the bond of their iniquity, they are now perfect targets for heresy, the beliefs of cults, and they change the pureness of the gospel because they're filled with bitterness. Because some people say, well, what happened to Simon? Has anyone want to know what happened to Simon? How many is like, I want to know what happened to Simon? Because then, because remember, Peter said, you pray. But verse 24, then Simon answered and said, you pray to God for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. Peter told Simon to pray. Simon asked Peter to pray for him instead. Notice the missing element once again of Simon's relationship with God. Also notice Simon's third error. Simon was not concerned with his sin, just as possible future punishment. He didn't care about his sin. He cared about his punishment. Simon was saved, but his heart wasn't right. He let bitterness and jealousy affect his heart, his motives, and his path. See, some church fathers and scholars believe that Simon became a heretic, and an early proponent of the heresy of Gnosticism, which prides itself on secret knowledge being needed for salvation. Why would Simon go against this path if this is historically true? Why would he become an enemy of Christianity and preach something that's untrue? He was bitter. He was jealous. And he wanted all the attention and glory on himself. He never dealt with his heart. And so he preaches something that, okay, if you want to really be saved, you need this secret knowledge that only I got. See, that's what cults specialize in. Hey, yeah, that's kind of true, but only we have access to the true knowledge. And so they twist it. See, that's the power of cults. They take a little bit of truth and they twist it. And if you're cults, you look for certain people who are either weak in mind or a weakened will to go after them and capture them. Satan looks for those who are in unforgiveness and filled with bitterness. How many people we've known that grew up in church, but because they had church hurt, they never dealt with? Or something happened in their life, they've turned away from God, now they believe anything crazy? Well, you know, Jesus never existed. You know, I saw some video on YouTube, really. A video on YouTube destroyed your faith? No, no, no. See, you were bitter before. You had unforgiveness before. You were jealous before. You didn't deal with what the Holy Ghost kept pointing out again and again and again and again and again. And you got out of your own sin. Now you're looking for something to justify your views on life. 
conviction came, you refused to listen to the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Because men can't convict you. Men don't have that power. Only the Holy Ghost can convict you. So you had conviction on your heart. You never dealt with it. So you keep looking for someone to scratch your ears, as Paul says, to tell you you can stay in your sin. You refuse to deal with what's going on in your heart. And people live this way, full of trash. And they pour it out everywhere because they won't get their heart right with God. And you can't say, oh, yep, that's sinners. That's the people not saved. No, this is a saved man. So that doesn't mean you can follow everything some saved person says. There are people all over the Internet and in person passing out trash. And the thing is, there are so many spiritually immature people, they eat it up. What do you have to think about what you have to tell babies? Don't eat that. Don't put that in your mouth. No, 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 don't put that in your mouth. Don't eat that. No, that is not for eating. You have to tell spiritual babies the same thing. But then some people, because spiritual maturity is not linear. You can be mature one year and five years later be a baby because of the decision you made. So people make decisions to become more and more immature every day. Trash comes along and looks good and they take it. And people then, they say, well, they throw out the whole bag together. Oh, no, the Holy Ghost doesn't move today because, you see, that person was did wrong. If there's a counterfeit, there is a real. But people are so spiritually immature and don't know the word from themselves, they buy the counterfeit all the time because it aids them in their sin. And in today's lesson, they didn't deal with the bitterness. They're justified in keeping it. Because what they did was wrong. I wasn't wrong. I was the victim. I'm 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 the victim. They're nursing it and rehearsing it. Nursing it and rehearsing it. Nursing and rehearsing it. Or they're taking a seed and making it a root. And even if they were the victim and they're innocent, if they don't let it go, it will keep them captive their entire life in bitterness and the root of bitterness, and they never shook it off. And now their life is contaminated. And wherever they go, there's contamination. And in some of the most serious cases, they can turn away from Jesus and become an enemy of the kingdom of God because they didn't get their heart right. And how many people do they drag down with them because they refuse to deal with their heart. See, that's why you have to pay attention to who you listen to. You have to pay attention to what you continually consume. Because bitterness is contagious. Jealousy is contagious. Unforgiveness is contagious. Anger is contagious. But you, Christian, need to make sure that your rivers are pure. That what flows from you is not contaminated that you do as much as you can to keep your heart right in the sight of God. Well, pastor, I'm not perfect. I didn't ask you to be perfect. I said, do what you can to keep your heart right in the sight of God. And anytime you notice you're doing wrong, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. Help me in this area. Help this area of unbelief. Help this area that I'm working into my soul. Keep your heart right before God. Be quick to forgive, quick to repent. And you do that 
your heart will be right towards God. Didn't say all your actions will be perfect, but your heart will be right. And God can work with a heart that's right. Remember, the heart produces things. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34 and 35, O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure or storage or deposit brings forth evil things. Your heart produces things. What is flowing from your heart tonight? If your heart is not right, it will affect your faith and your believing. What goes on in your heart eventually will come out of your mouth. What goes on in your heart will eventually come out of your mouth or on your fingers via tweet or post or snap or whatever. Your mouth, and now in these days, your social media account is an indicator of the condition of your heart. What are you pouring out? James said, Jesus' little brother said, should sweet water and bitter water flow from the same place? Brethren, it should not be that way. Should blessing and cursing flow from the same spout? No, it shouldn't be that way. Should a good tree produce good fruit and thick? No, it's not supposed to be that way. What should come from us is a blessing. What should flow from us should be good. What should flow from us should be healing. Not the enemy. But if you don't pay attention to the condition of your heart, you can end up an enemy and still come to the house of God. Because even Satan needs spies. What, do you act like Satan doesn't send people to church too? Satan shows up at church too. Keep your heart right. If you're going to do anything based off of what you hear tonight, keep your heart right. Forgive everybody of everything. And always check in to God with the condition of your heart. Keep your heart soft before God. Pure before God. Pliable before God. Keep it clean. Keep it pure. Because if you do that, it'll help your motives. That makes sure you desire the right things for the right reasons. But you have to keep your heart right. How do you do that? Do what Simon didn't do. Have a relationship with God. And all these things, he cut out the relationship. See, it's hard to have a bad heart when you have a right relationship. Because the thing is, if you have a relationship, I'm not talking about that you just do, you show up for religious service, it's good. You do what's right, it's good that you serve. Oh, I prayed. I read the word. Well, good. But do you take time and talk to him? Do you let him talk to you? Because you can just skip through reading, just read your chapter day, read it real fast, and that really affects you. Do you read it and listen and see if he wants to say anything to your heart? Well, Pastor, what if he doesn't? Then keep moving. What if he does? Listen and obey. Do you take time to examine your own heart, as Paul said? That if you go through a situation, am I healed from it yet? Or am I carrying some baggage? Have I let the anointing work on me to remove burdens, destroy yokes? 
or I'm just going through life carrying every bad thing that's happened to me. Carrying every bad thing I've seen. What's the condition of your heart? That's something you have to keep in your mind because you want to make sure your heart is right. Well, Pastor, what if my heart's not right? Ask God to help you with it. Ask the one who tries the hearts of men to help your heart, to help you recover what you may have lost. You know, we all go through different things, and your heart may be right, but what if you lost some good things and qualities about you because of what you went through? You know, one of the things I learned to pray, God, help me recover in my soul and my heart anything I've lost that that you want me to have, anything that I've lost that when I had it, it pleased you. Help me recover it. Because Psalms 23 says, he will restore your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. He's the healer of the brokenhearted. That if your heart and your soul is not right, but you come to the God who restores souls, you come to the God who's close to the brokenhearted, the one who binds up the brokenhearted, he can restore you. So what flows from you is pure. What flows from you is right. What flows from you is good. You keep your heart close to God, and he'll work it out. So what, it's so strong or so bad, it's nothing that the fire of God can't handle. There's nothing that he can't burn away. There's nothing he can't free you from. You just got to stay close. Stay close to him. Unforgiveness and bitterness will cost you greatly. It cost John the Baptist his head. So, well, Pastor, I thought John said, I decrease that he might increase. Yeah, but that didn't mean he had to die. He was arrested and thrown in prison because he was preaching right. He was doing what he was supposed to do. But while he was in prison, because he thought God was taking so long, too long, because Jesus' little cousin should have broke him out by jail by now, he sent two of his disciples and asked Jesus, are you the one who should come? Or do we look for another? He said, oh, that's a great question. John was interested in Revelation. No, no, no. Remember, when Jesus was baptized, John was there. And God told John in advance, the one you see the Holy Ghost come upon and stay, he's the one. A voice spoke from heaven. John was there. John preached about Jesus. And when Jesus showed up, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. John knew full well who his cousin was. But when he was in a situation he didn't want to be in, when it seemed like God didn't go quick enough for him, he said, hey, are you the one? Or am I should I be looking for somebody else? Have I wasted my time? And Jesus said, go back and tell John again. So obviously they had this conversation before if he had to say again. The blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached unto them. He's given all the signs of what the Messiah should be, what John fully knows well. And he says, look at all around. You see the evidence. And before you go, Blessed is he who's not offended in me. John was offended at the very one who could set him free. And not too long after that, John was beheaded. Another guy, Judas. He never dealt with the issue in his heart of his covetousness. He was a thief. Now, all the 12 disciples had issues and problems. All of them needed counseling appointments. Multiple sessions. Multiple issues. But Judas didn't deal with his. 
Peter's was more undercover. Peter's was right out there. Judas was undercover. He would be stealing that whole time. Always covetousness. And then he was planning to steal again. You read in John's gospel, when the woman came and broke the expensive perfume on Jesus' feet as an act of worship. That offering's too big for you, preacher. That could have been taken and given to the poor. And then John puts in parentheses, he did not care about the poor. He just planned to steal the money after it went to the treasury. And Jesus rebuked Judas. And said, she did this for me to prepare for my burial. Judas didn't like that answer. He was offended. And this is when he left that place, Satan entered in his heart. Because he began to plan what could he do to trade in Jesus so he can get some more money. See, I don't think Judas, we can't see from Judas that Judas' heart really believed that Jesus was going to die. Because they tried to kill Jesus multiple times in three years. It just never worked. They tried to put Jesus off the cl- off a cliff, and he walked through them. They try to stone him, and he disappears and reappears and escapes out of places all the time. So Judas says, well, he can't die, so might as well make some money off of him since I can't steal from the treasury anymore. His heart wasn't right. It led him to a place where he did not repent. The most important thing in this world is your heart and the condition of your heart. One of the most dangerous and most damning things in the entire world is a hard heart. Because it can get to a certain point where you no longer hear from God. That's what happened to Pharaoh. He had a hard heart. He refused to listen to God. So God said, fine, I'll now use you as a vessel of wrath. heart issues. And see, the thing is, when you study that out in Romans, when you look at Pharaoh, you see, that is the same judgment that was pronounced on Pharaoh, which is pronounced on the last generations. Because they receive the Antichrist. They receive him because their heart has been hardened. To a point they will no longer listen to God, even though he shows up during the tribulation, angels preaching from the sky, Two witnesses on earth, 144,000 Jewish evangelists, the rapture, several raptures through the tribulation. They refuse to listen to any of it. So God hands them over to the judgment of the hard heart. You can have the Antichrist. And they follow him. They take the mark and they burn forever. We have to think we live at the end of all things. Jesus coming soon, whether it's in our lifetime or not too long after us. So there are people possibly here on this earth who have a decision right now, what will they do with their heart before the end comes? What will you do with your heart? Not just today, but will you guard your heart, as it says in Proverbs? Will you pay attention to the condition of your heart? Or will you be like Simon the sorcerer? Will you be like Judas? Will you be like those who receive the Antichrist? Or you'll be like those who guard their heart, who keep their heart pure. Like even if they make terrible mistakes like David, they get their heart right. Or people who just walk close to God. And they get to heaven, and he says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in the joy of your master. They keep a heart God can work through continually and consistently. They're quick to forgive. 
They're quick to repent. They guard their heart. You need to pay attention to the condition of your heart. You have to guard it like it's valuable because it is. If you don't guard it, and the enemy keep planting in it, it will produce things of the kingdom of darkness. And you wonder, why does your life look like hell? Look at what's coming out of your heart. Stand to your feet. Praise the Lord. Take this moment right now. In this room, watching online, watching this replay. Close your eyes and examine your heart. If you're not in a place where you can close your eyes, do this later. Examine the condition of your heart. Is it right in the sight of God? Is there unforgiveness in there? Is there bitterness in there? Is there jealousy in there? Is there some emotional baggage that you refuse to deal with? Something you decided to carry on? Whether it's small or great, deal with it right now. Forgive whoever wronged you. So, Pastor, it's hard for me to forgive them. Make a choice to forgive by faith. So I choose to forgive right now. Holy Ghost, just help me. And he will. If you ask him to help, he'll help. Some of you have right desires to be used for God by God in a great way. But if you don't get your heart right, it will limit how far he can use you, how far he can take you. Heard one man of God said that God spoke to him one day and said, I've taken you as far as I can take you. And he was shocked. He was like, God, why would you say that? He says, you haven't controlled your anger. You haven't dealt with that yet. See, the Holy Ghost will deal with you about dealing things. You got to deal with them. You got to deal with it by yourself. He'll help you deal with it, but you need to make a decision, a quality decision to deal with it that's backed up with decision every single day to keep going in that direction. I'm not telling you that you're going to be perfect. I'm just telling you, guard your heart and keep it right. See, also, there's a tricky thing about grief. See, Paul says we don't grieve like others. So we do have a grieving process, but it's not like those who have no hope. Therefore, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that those we've lost will see him when he comes. So we grieve with hope. But what the enemy would try to do in the normal process of grief He'll slip in and come through many people. Just cry it out. Just cry it out. Just cry it out. And that seems okay when there's people around you. But one day comes when there's no one around you. And all the food they give you at the home going is gone. All the fried chicken is gone. All the potato salad is gone. And you're still crying. And you're empty. And there's no one around you. And then now spirits of grief begin to entertain you. And now the enemy will use this natural process to ensnare you and trap you for the rest of your life. But you have to make a decision that even if you're in the process of grieving because you lost a loved one, it may be because you know you see them again, but you miss them. It's okay to miss them. It's okay. That's not wrong. 
But don't focus on that they're gone. Focus on, I'll see them again. I was going to say, Pastor, what if I, know, what if I don't know if I'll see them again? Turn the matter completely over to God. Because you don't know what happened between the time of their last breath. Turn it over to God. He is just, but he's also merciful. You don't think about it anymore. Because you thinking about it will not make anything better. You might say, Pastor, I just want to know why. God may not tell you why. That might be between that person and God. There's very few people who is not that person who God will actually tell about it if they need to know. Don't try to figure it out. Roll that care over on God. Because you keep carrying cares that will burden you down and affect the condition of your heart. So anything in your heart, believers, you have to get right. Get it right right now. I hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. Connect with us on social media. Our handle is at WeAreFaithATL. Follow us online at FCCGA.com. If you want to support the ministry financially, you can text FCCGA to 73256 or give online. But most importantly, we never want to close a broadcast without giving you the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you never pray this prayer, repeat after me. Meet it from the bottom of your heart. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you pray that prayer, we believe you've been born again. So if you pray that prayer, let us know by connecting with us online or emailing us at info at FCCGA.com. Once again, thanks for tuning in today. We look forward to seeing you next time. Have an amazing day.